Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. My name is Luciano Gonzalez. And Duem Navarro Rivera. And today we are going to be having a very fascinating conversation on a new set of family values and the debate currently going on with the Democratic Party as to whether or not anti-choice Democrats effectively what the role anti-choice Democrats should play in the Democratic Party. Personally, I think they should shut up. But other than that, uh, this is a question that has come up in recent times because Democrats are trying to build uh, basically a candidate base for the 2018 elections. And they the argument is that they need to win conservative districts in order to retake the House of Representatives. And so in order to do that, they need to create a party that has a very wide and huge tent. Uh, and that, to some extent, has already included uh, in some segments, in some elections, uh candidates who actually are anti-choice. So this conversation about the idea of big tents for people who aren't quite as politically, for people who don't know the political jargon, the basic idea behind the big tent is this idea that there is a place for diversity of thought within the Democratic Party, which in and of itself sounds innocent enough It, it becomes kind of dangerous, though, when we're talking about things that probably shouldn't be negotiable. For their individuals, such as myself and multiple other activists, who are very firmly pro-choice, who are honestly kind of to the ultimate level of being pro-choice. In my case, the reason why I have this is because I've lived in nations like Honduras, where abortion is 100% banned, and I know how bad it should be. So as a response to that, I think that the optimum placement for the government when it comes to things like reproductive rights is for it to be as detached as possible. Because I understand, and the way that I look at this issue, is that the government should not be involved in these decisions at all, and it shouldn't have a say. These conversations... And these decisions should solely involve a woman and her doctor. Yes. And so I think one of the, you know, going back to this big tent argument, there's a difference between a big tent in which there is a diversity of thought and debate But that diversity of thought and debate is also limited to, to a large extent. And what I mean is that that debate can happen and that debate should happen, uh, but within a progressive framework, not... Oh, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get conservatives in here because we need more people. Uh, it, I don't think it's 
it's something that actually makes sense politically because at that point your party becomes what people say it is which is a party about nothing right this is the sound is a seinfeld party it's a party in which anybody can run anybody can win and there is no unifying thread uh rather than you know differences in policy priorities and to the extent that those policies should be implemented. And in the case of, of reproductive rights, that's certainly a thorny issue, probably because a lot of uh, democratic leaders and 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 uh, what do you call it, the uh, kingmakers certainly th are concerned particularly about Catholic support. Uh, but, I mean, if you look at the statistics, white Catholics have been Republicans for a while. <laughs> uh, white Democrats who are Catholic, for the most part, are not anti-choice. And then most of the Democrats who are Catholic, actually, or a, a, a very large uh, portion of the Democrats who are Catholics are actually Latinos, who even if they may be anti-choice, and, 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 and you know, the Latinos particularly are more divided in that area in general, but Latinos who are Democrats are more pro-choice than anti-choice. And those who still vote for Democrats understand that there are other issues that matter more uh, in terms of economic and social justice and the fact that, you know, if you, for, for a lot of people, and I actually would like your opinion on this, is a lot of anti-choice people are not just anti-choice about abortion. They are also, uh, you know, against any kind of contraception and 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 birth control and any type of uh, any type of tool that helps women to get bodily independence. So to that extent, that's not the kind of people you want in your party, particularly a party who has a base which is primarily women. <laughs> One of the issues that I think relates to this whole idea, this whole art overarching premise that the Democrats need every single vote that they can to win and take back the House that I think is flawed is this idea that one, there are like there there are Democrats who are anti choice. There are Democrats for life, whatever they want to call themselves. They do exist. But the question that a lot of people should be asking themselves is, do they exist in large enough numbers that this is a significant thing to talk about? Anyway, an article on The Hill, which we're going to be referencing in the description and the link of this episode, talks about the fact that, by and large, they don't. It points out that there are exceptions to this general rule, but for the most part, Democrats don't feel the need to label themselves as being pro-choice or being pro-life. They understand the implications of what it means to be on their party. Now, there are exceptions to this, <clears throat> such as Hillary Clinton's um, 
uh, choice for vice president. He labeled himself as personally pro-life, but he voted consistently to be pro-choice. But those exceptions do not make the rule. And another issue that's pretty fundamental with this is this idea that is this a key issue? You mentioned this yourself earlier. Is this a key issue for Democrats that would make or break a candidate? In most cases, it's probably not because anyone who's going to vote Democrat, as we've mentioned earlier, understands the implications of their vote and understands that even if they themselves are per- personally pro-life, that one, they're not losing anything by voting for a candidate who is vocally and proudly pro-choice, and two, that there are other issues that probably matter more to the Democratic base than being and labeling yourself as pro-life. Yes, and I think to add to that, there's that aspect within Democratic Party politics uh, as how do you build a coalition, but I, I think the larger point is that attracting these type of candidates or uh, getting these type of candidates actually a way of chipping away conservative support. And honestly, I doubt that that is going to be the case. So and, um, the article on the Hill talks about the fact that even though, <clears throat> even though Democrats have started talking about supporting um, pro-life Dems, There are Democratic strategists who have noted that there is not an effort to cultivate, like, what what the people in the article are saying is that despite the fact that the Democratic Party is apparently considering pro-life Dems, there hasn't actually been an effort to go to the areas where pro-life Dems would have a chance to win and actually raise them and develop them and turn them into viable candidates. So even though the Democratic Party is saying that they are willing to consider supporting anti-choice candidates, which I think is a mistake in and of itself, they're not even being serious about this effort. They're not actually looking for people. They're just expecting people to come from nowhere and be like, I'm here. Can I take your money and have your support? And that, to me, makes this whole situation even worse because they're alienating their base and then they're being lazy about it, which is really frustrating. Absolutely. And not only that, I think that that has been a big problem in general, and that was augmented in 2016, is the fact that, you know, I I think I'm going to steer a little bit... uh, far from policy uh, in here, but you know, a lot of the complaints about Democrats losing elections has been, in particularly in, the, in national congressional elections, has been this gerrymandering debate. I don't disagree that gerrymandering has been something that has helped Republicans keep the House uh, and maintain it. But also the fact is that Democrats haven't put much effort in the states and republicans filled that void very well and they were able to draw the districts because there was no democratic opposition to that and so 
then the democratic response to that has been, well, we're going to save money because these, sa- these districts are safely Republican, so we're not going to run anybody. And whoever is going to run there is just going to be some fringe person that we're not going to support. And now they realize that, the National Party realized that they need people to run in there because at least, you know, some warm body or a piece of sandwich that you throw in there, at least is going to get some nice percentage of the point, you know, of the vote that in a tight election with an unpopular president in 2018 can actually swing uh, a Congress. And so now they, they, there's this need for getting all these candidates, but there has been no effort in building a, 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 a base of experienced candidates and politicians that can actually fill that void. And so now they're looking for getting whatever we can get. I think that's a really good point that I actually hadn't considered when I was talking about it, because I wrote about it. We are going to be putting in both of the articles that we wrote, because I wrote or I wrote an article about this earlier in the week and UM wrote a response to the article, which included a lot more data than mine did. Mine was mostly about what it means for the Democrats that they're considering doing this. But I think that's a very interesting point that I actually hadn't considered because I didn't think about the logical implications in terms of just the sheer bodies that they're throwing at the voters, hoping that one of those bodies will be like, oh, hey, this is a person I can vote for and will somehow win the election for them. That's uh, that's a point worth talking about. And I think it's also a really neat way for us to close this part of the discussion and for us to move into family values. And since UM is a political scientist, I wanted to ask you, what do you think it means when a politician calls themselves a family values politician? When a politician calls him or herself, although given that most of them are Republicans, it's mostly himself. It's a candidate who ostensibly claims to have put family first. But when those candidates and those politicians put family first, that means that they believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman, that that man and that woman should be producing all the babies that God provides them without any sort of planning, that that man and that, well, that woman should stay at home, uh, that that man and that woman are definitely not gay, and they that man and that woman should certainly serve whatever, if they have any gay, le- uh, lesbian, transgender, or queer kids to gay reparation camp. Uh, I think that's in a nutshell uh, what it sort of means to be called or to label yourself a family values candidate or a family values politician. But independently from each other, almost a year apart uh, or more than a year apart, we actually came up with sort of the same definition for a secular family values. Uh, And I want you to talk about your piece uh, 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 that you wrote uh, earlier this week about uh, secular family values and what do you mean by it? Because it's certainly not the same thing that I talk about right now. 
So I have actually written about family values as a secular individual multiple times, but most of the times I've written about it, it's been on my personal Facebook. Earlier this week, and after writing a post where I, I very strongly voiced my disagreement with the Democratic Party institutions that were supporting pro-life candidates, I wrote a sort of response to this that talks about <clears throat> modern-day family values. And I want, I'm pushing for the Democratic Party to reclaim the label of being the family values party. I want the Democrats to aggressively not only market themselves as the not only market themselves as the political party for families, but actually work on policy that comes from being the, uh, the party that support families. And what this means is this means doing certain economic things, such as focusing on the minimum wage, but it also means looking out for the institutions that look out for families, whether it's schools, unions, organizations like Planned Parenthood that ensure women have bodily autonomy <clears throat> and can decide when they start getting pregnant and start having families, fighting for quality health care, working to make sure that children in foster care and orphanages have quality living conditions and that their caretakers are human beings who should be taking care of children and not just people who are sponging off of the benefits that come from having foster children in your homes. It also involves <clears throat> fighting back against abstinence-based sex education, which has been shown to not work, and fighting for comprehensive sex education, which has been shown to have, at the very least, some results. And basically, I, I want to push for a Democratic Party that when it talks about family values, does so in a way that not only makes people and families feel good, like the Republican Party does when they talk about family values, but actually improves the quality of lives, the quality of life for every member of the family, from the working father to the working mother, to the sons and daughters in pre-K, and even the ones in college. And that's a great, I mean, I really like that blog post, as I told you privately. Uh, and and it goes in line with something that I wrote over a year ago. And I had kind of like the similar, you know, similar idea of what family values entails. Although in my case, I mostly focus on uh paid parental leave and it was mostly a reaction at that time I had just I was in the middle of my own parental leave and I just found it appalling that you know for seniority reasons and 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 uh, other uh, uh, mostly seniority reasons like my wife who was who didn't have like a year in her in her in her job uh you know didn't apply, didn't qualify for maternity leave and so she had to use the whatever vacation time she had and sick time that she had left to actually stay home with our son while i uh 
basically had a three-month paid leave uh, from my job. And so that that kind of strategy, we used it to take care of him for the first six months of his life. And so that blog post came through halfway through my parental leave uh, period. And it really was about how we basically as a country don't grant like we we just the value of life for people in this country are basically peaks when you're at the womb in the womb and gradually you're you basically babies are like new cars the moment you are out of the dealer or you're out of the womb your value drops precipitously uh at least for you know, in, in terms of policy and definitely in terms of how, how Republicans talk about family values. And so the, for me is, for, for me in, in that case was in terms of policy is like, you know, it is amazing that most men in this country, like I, I'm, I, I was part of probably 14% of working men who actually were able, are, are eligible for uh, getting parental, paid parental leave mothers get more but also at the same time you really na- need to have like a nice job to do that right the people who are in retail people who are working in factories people who are working in other parts of the service sector uh with low wages restaurants fast food and whatnot they they don't have these kind of benefits and and so it it it's 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 a it, it's a it's an aspect of american policy that basically perpetuates class differences because of course like a middle an upper middle class family can has these benefits they can spend more time with their kids a woman who doesn't have these benefits has to go straight to work and we know that that early time with your child is very, very, very important in terms of how you, uh, you know, how it develops. And, and, and so, you know, we're just, with just that, just as, just that aspect, you're just creating inequality, uh, that in oftentimes is going to be reversible. It's really important as someone who has i want to run for office one day and i want to be able to market myself as a family values politician but i don't want it to have the same connotation that it does now because the connotation that to me it has when i asked um about the about what it meant to be a family values politician that's the way that I thought about it as someone who's heard it and has heard it connected to the sort of Republican politicians that's been connected to. And there is also there's also discussions about a big tent in the Republican Party that are worth talking about. And the idea of a big tent also exists over there. But it doesn't really exist at the very least from my point of view in any sort of practice. There isn't a whole lot of diversity within the Republican Party. 
And that means that there isn't a whole lot of diversity within what it means to be a family values politician. And that's really distressing because I would think that the party that fought against getting quality health care, the party that fought against expanding the definition of families, the party that fought to keep children in orphanages and in, fo- and in <coughs> foster care in orphanages and in foster care instead of out being adopted by people who weren't straight, by people who weren't Christian, I would think that people would remember them more accurately because I'm a historian, but then I'm very often disappointed by how people look at history and by how people remember things that happened in this country. So I think it's very important that people have conversations about what it means to be a family values politician and how people who want to reclaim family values can actually go about reclaiming them instead of just being like, I'm a family values politician, but I'm not like the other family value politicians. I actually mean it. When we talk about that, we shouldn't have to frame it that way. Well, I think, yeah, but I I think the, I mean, this is going to be semantic pedantry, but uh, I think what you, when, I think you mean more like instead of reclaiming it, probably appropriating it. Uh, because I, I think at this point, that label and that language, it is a standard of the right of these politicians that actually believe in all these awful things that we just discussed before. And I mean, the the awful things that we discussed before at the beginning, not the awesome things that we want families to have uh, later in the show. And, and also I think it is, it's not just a matter of policies. It's also a different vision of society. And, Oftentimes, I don't know how you you know. Did you you're now more active in in in, in politics in your areas? You've been saying, and and you certainly have some sort of ambitions. Uh, I I've been around a bit longer, uh, and so I, I've been around with different types of Democrats and liberals and progressives. And I think oftentimes they many people think that you know if you talk to conservatives about policy differences and how the benefits of these you know how beneficial these policies are gonna be like parental leave and sick leave and you know allowing people to adopt children if they're not you know even if they're not straight. Uh, and some of the others you have mentioned that, you know, if you convince them of the good of the policy that, you know, that's going to win. But the problem is that this is not just a matter of, this is not a policy discussion. This is a culture war, what we're talking about. Republicans are much better at this than Democrats. And so the Republicans are not just opposed to the policy. They're opposed to the fact that women are working. And so it's not just that, you know, when, when, when the discussion starts at making workplaces friendlier for women to have children, 
that's a no-go when you think that women shouldn't be working in the first place and their, their role is to have children. And when you are thinking about, oh, yeah, well, you know, sexual education actually leads to fewer children and, you know, it actually leads to fewer abortions. Uh, so you should just support these policies and you're going to have less abortions. But no, because the whole point is that, well, women should be married, women should be only having children. And so it's a whole different discussion. They're not even talking the same language. And I think that this, it, this is an important reason why the language that we use should actually appropriate that language from the right and try to basically change the label, uh, you know, change the meaning uh, in a substantive way so it actually becomes mainstream that, you know, this is what family values really are. I think that it's a shame that we're reaching the end of this episode right when you said that, because that was, that was a really, really strong discussion, really long. I don't know if it's the right words monologue, but that was a really good discussion about that because I like to believe that we're viewing reality more or less the same way. I like to believe that even though I view politics one way, it's not so much shaped by my view of reality but or my view of society, if I'm trying to be less blunt in my language, but that it comes, that we're at least looking at the same thing. But if we're talking about it that way, it could very much be that we are looking at things genuinely from holistically different standpoints not just different starting points, but even different understandings of the world itself, which is oftentimes how, in my experience, non-believers have talked about talking about religion with religious believers, but not so much the way that I've heard politicians and policy pundits and political strategists talking about politics. And I think that's a very interesting framework with which to begin a conversation about this. And I feel like we're doing ourselves and our listeners a disservice by having to cut off the episode relatively soon. Uh, but I'm pretty sure we're going to revisit it. And actually, I think this is a good segue to basically do a whole episode on cultural war politics, which is something I have studied probably for 15 years. So uh, I'll be more than happy to talk about it and how people see, you know, politics and society in very different ways and try to shape it uh, using politics. So, I, 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 you know, I'm not that sad about how we're going to finish this. I think it's a, it's a good way to get people. It's, it, I feel like this is like a soap opera. We want people quit coming for more. But now that we are starting to close out this episode, I have two questions for our listeners. And I would like UM to ask one as well. But my two questions are, <clears throat> how, how is it that people could either reclaim or appropriate the idea of family values politics and apply it in a way that at the very least from the point of view of a, of a progressive 
or a left-leaning individual is more appropriate than the way the right has currently dominated and used the term family values politicians. Yeah. And also, do you agree with the general idea that it's that we are currently looking at things from different starting points than people who disagree with us politically? And this that question doesn't matter if you're a progressive or a conservative. I'm just curious as to our listeners' thoughts. And do you want, do you have one? I think I have one and it's you know, there has been this discussion about whether, you know, the left won the culture wars, particularly when it comes to issues like same sex marriage. And which is an other aspect of family values that we actually didn't get very in-depth. And so the question is, do you think the cultural wars are over, or do you think they're still very alive? All right. Well, this has been the Benito Juarez Experience with Luciano Gonzalez. And you, Ana Rivera.